0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: Hello, I'm Scott Sosnick, and I'm Evan Novi Williams. And this is the angel investing sports business podcast, the Sportacast.
0: All right, I, got, I got to tell you, Evan. I think every journalist will feel what I'm about to say. <laughs> you, uh, you just, there are certain words you know you have to be very careful about. Spell check this. And angels is one because how many times have you tried to write about the, and I joked uh, with uh, uh, Luke Cyphers, our older reporter the other day, and Barry Bloom, like we've probably written California angels, Anaheim angels. I said Anaheim and my, my focus group of one heard me and literally was like, you're an idiot. They're not in Anaheim there. That's the Los Angeles Angels. I'm like, oh, God. you know, But anyway, uh, sometimes you'll see the Angels and you, you write Angles. Angles. By, by yeah. yeah, the Angles. That's just one of those, you know, as a sports writer, you know, you have to double check. Anytime you're writing about the Angels, make sure you're not talking about Angles.
1: And if you're cutting a, a $2.5 billion check, uh, you should make it out to the Angels and not the Angles, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely want to make it out to uh, the right payee. But uh, Audie Moreno announced uh, earlier in the week, that he's exploring all options for the club, including a sale. It hasn't been uh, from a wins and loss perspective, from a get a new stadium perspective, from a win over the hearts and minds of the fans perspective, uh, from a let's not spend a lot of money perspective. It has not exactly been a wonderful ownership tenure for Audie Marino. And uh, he says the time is right. <laughs> the time is right to maybe go away. Um, especially, by the way, if you're going to consider soon, are you going to pay. Uh, Shohei Ohtani, right? You, you've got a big decision to make. Do I cut this very big check, or by the way, what did he pay? for What did
1: he buy, buy the club for? Uh, yeah, pennies, hundred and something million, yeah, was, you know, million or something.
0: Like yeah, that? yeah, you know, So you know, he bought it pennies on the dollar. So uh, even with losses, uh, he can certainly. Uh, make a nice return on the Angels.
1: Yeah, it's funny, Scott. We, uh, We end up writing a lot, often breaking news a lot, about teams that are either being sold or who the new buyer is or teams that are exploring sales. This is not something we broke, but I was shocked at how, when I tweeted this, how much response there was from Angels fans who seemed thrilled about the idea of a new ownership group that was not Artie Moreno. Do you know how many? Mike Trout made his debut, Major League Baseball debut in 2011. Do you know how many playoff games the Angels have won since he made his debut?
0: Oh, my God. Boy, is this going to be like a Dallas Cowboys 13 thing? 13 like,
1: seasons or so. How many playoff games do you think they've won?
0: Uh, I don't know. Three? Zero. Zero. Uh, I, I was like, am I going
1: low? I don't know. They've been to the playoffs once. They, I know they were, were there, swept, so I figured they want a couple. They were swept by the by the Kansas City Royals. Uh, it's, I get the sense that there are a lot of Angels fans who feel like this team was gifted for a decade plus with, with one of the most transformational players in baseball history, and Mike Trout was unable to win a single playoff game, and now they have a second transformational player in Shohei Otani, who you're right, they're going to have to make a big decision on at some point in the coming years. Uh, it does certainly feel as though for, for a lot of Angels fans, uh, th- th- there's an excitement about the possibility of new ownership. Uh, there was also some surprise, Scott. W- when I tweeted this, w- I mentioned we ranked this the, the, the Angels' eighth most valuable team in baseball. I think they're 51st in, uh, among all U.S. teams. A lot of people, I think, still have this belief that that how good your team is on the field is the most important Part of what makes them valuable, no. or more valuable or less valuable. We're, we're, People still think that we haven't, we haven't just driven that notion <laughs> out of them yet. yet. I think for the average baseball fan, the idea that the Angels, a team that again hasn't won a a, 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 a playoff game in, in in fifteen years, allow me to introduce is, you to the
0: Dallas Cowboys and the New York Knicks.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but we should talk about it. two point five billion is the valuation. If it sold for two point five, that would be the the highest price ever paid for a baseball team. It would eclipse the two point four that Steve Cohen. Paid for the Mets uh, just two years ago. LA is the second biggest media market in the country. Uh, obviously, that is extremely important to anyone who wants to buy a, 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 a sports franchise. Another thing worth considering: the stadium. It's it's one of the oldest in baseball, and not oldest in the fun ways like Fenway Park or Wrigley Field. I think it's just old old in the old ways. Um, not owned by the team; they just operated. I believe the city of Anaheim owns it, but another consideration that anyone who's looking at potentially buying the Los Angeles Angels would have to take into consideration.
0: What have I said on this show and in many corridors many, many times? Prospective sports team owners do not, I repeat, do not want a turnkey situation. They would prefer a project where they can make their mark, they can make their money, make their imprint with Take your pick one, two, whatever, three of these things, a new stadium and bigger real estate play, a media possibility, maybe a regional sports network, which is not the same as what it was before, but some sort of media opportunity. So this certainly seems to fall in that category where there is an opportunity for a real estate play. And let's not discount. And I'm going to put another bucket in there. You said transformational superstar a la Steph Curry. Yes, but a global transformational superstar adds another dimension to it all. So, uh, yeah, there are certainly good things there. While the, one, the wins and losses and the one-loss record is not what you would want, uh, there are other good things that a prospective owner or owners would certainly find attractive. And I want you, if you would, after the show please go on Twitter and put the winning pitchers for the Royals. I always think that's kind of a fun thing. The last time the angels made the playoffs, like, you know, is it Dan Quisenberry, uh, Mark Gubiza <laughs> and Brett Saberhagen? You know, who are the pitchers for the Orioles or uh, for the, uh, for the Royals at that time. Uh, I, I find that fun. Just taking some guesses. If so, if you would do that, do me that favor. I, I think people would find it fun. Like the last time the angels uh, were in the postseason here were the pitchers that, that third tossed against them.
1: The, um, Another thing that, that this conversation just kind of made me think about, the Shohei Ohtani and, and 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 the timing here for the Angels made me think of the other Major League Baseball team that we know and is very publicly on the market right now, the Washington Nationals. That sale is, is kind of in the process of happening at the same time as the team had to make a decision and did make a decision about Juan Soto, another one of, if you were ranking... Maybe the, 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 in, in five years, the biggest superstars in Major League Baseball, I think Juan Soto and, and Shohei Otani might be, both be top five or maybe even top three. I'm always fascinated, Scott. I would love to hear your thoughts. How much the, the, the specific things like that, a decision looming on Shohei Otani, a decision looming on Juan Soto impacts at all the conversations that are happening behind the scenes from prospective buyers as they talk about potentially taking over a club before or after those decisions are made. Uh, at
0: this point with this team, the way it just popped up, I'd be very surprised. Maybe if they get down down the line with somebody, um, they'll get a say, but I, I would be very surprised. They start with Russell Wilson and the Broncos, right? They just they just made the trade and got them. Uh, I'd be very surprised if they're looking at uh, or looking for input from prospective buyers at this point. That just doesn't mean to make sense to me. And by the way, I'd be surprised if Ted Leonsis doesn't wind up with the Nats uh, very, very close with the Learners. Uh, of course, he just saw he bought the RSN in Washington talking about sort of a multi-RSN super superstation um, platform company. So I, see, I think I see where he's headed and another team would fit in nicely. But uh, I, I wanted to bring in... I don't think we've ever done this, though. Here comes the focus group of one. And I want him to say it because he'll, he'll know. Because we were watching the Little League World Series and it makes sense in, in this discussion. And he said to me a number of times when he was watching the Chinese Taipei team pitch. Uh, was it Hawaii also? Yeah, what did you say to me, Jackson, when you saw all the pitchers for those teams? So you, but speak up, though. You got to come in here and speak up. But what did you say to me every time you were watching the Asian team pitchers?
1: Um, I noticed that they all they all pitch like Sherry Otani. The,
0: the, the pitching motion.
1: The pitching motion, yeah.
0: So huh. clear, clearly, this is their favorite player, and they are modeling their games. That's something... You can really look at, say, he, I mean, he really is their idol. So, and then of course, I started, I, I didn't notice it, but then I started watching every single kid that came in. It was the same delivery. So they're all watching Shohei Otani saying, I want to be just like that guy. And it, it, that, 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 there's a moneymaker in there.
1: It's amazing how much, the specifically the, the Japanese MLB stars, the amount of attention that they get overseas. I, I remember. Going to Yankee Stadium a lot during you know the the, the, the number of years where, where, where Masahiro Tanaka was was the opening day starter and the amount of, of Japanese media that would be there for Tanaka starts particularly opening day it, it was more than there were uh, were traditional American media and, and oh, when and Matsui I always that, came
0: like, over man what a crowd Hideki yeah, Matsui exactly. brought and by the way I said Chinese Taipei of course and, and he was probably watching the Japanese team.
1: But maybe both though who knows i mean yeah, okay, yeah. i think and there's the regional team, appeal yeah, yeah, yeah. to to a lot, to a lot of these stars one other question i did want to ask you scott going back to the nationals and the and and, and the angels for a second it's rare that we have two teams uh two two, value, two two plus billion dollar teams in the same league that are that are actively potentially on the market at the same time does does the additional supply for two teams that are on you know, three three thousand miles apart in different s- situations, does that change? You think the the ending price here, or, or, or is it kind of irrelevant that now there are two teams, and, and we can talk about the Orioles as well? But but now there are multiple MLB teams that are actively looking for buyers. Ah, uh,
0: now we need Ricardo Silver on the uh, uh, right. Is, is that? Is, Oh, Ricardo Ford. I'm sorry. Ricardo, Ricardo Silva. <laughs> where are my MP and Silvers in my head? Oh my lord! Now you know I've been doing sports business too long. When Ricardo Silva pops into my head, we need we need Ricardo Ford to come in. Like if Team A comes in and their revenue is lower, but Team B's already on. <laughs> you mean Rodney? Ford. You're talking about, said, <laughs> Yeah, I'm talking <laughs> Rodney Ford. Ford. Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. in a hotel room. It's You're hard, man. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm like tired. <laughs> hockey season has begun. I've been spending my time in in uh, in hockey rinks already. Yes, yeah, Rodney Ford. Sorry, Rodney. Rodney Ford. He put something on Twitter the other day. Like, so, hey, econ students, what happens if in this scenario? That, that's exactly it. Um, do, you want, do you want the team with the higher sort of revenue projections on, on the market first or the team with the lower revenue projections on the market first setting, setting a baseline?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, to, to me, I actually wonder how much this... matter. There's so much of, of, of who buys teams that is directly regional, right? And and there are probably going to be in people interested in, in the Angels and who knows if that's Kroenke or Ballmer or some other people that are West Coast out there who are, are not interested in the Nationals at all for geographic reasons, right? Steve Cohen, who bought the Mets for two point four billion dollars, probably is not buying interested in buying the Angels three years ago if they if they were on the market. I mean, to me, in some ways, depending on the situation, some of these sales just kind of happen in a bubble. As it is because there is a local person that really wants it. And yeah, and that number, yeah the Cohen if- number
0: was driven by heart. It, it, that, that's exactly it. Josh Harris was billion a billion dollars clear. He finished second in the bidding. He was a billion dollars clear of Steve Cohen because it was a business transaction. It, had, yeah. it was not about heart and mind and he grew up rooting for the team and the, and the colors and, you know, is already a part owner that that's got nothing to do with it here. It's got to I, and you out. Mentioned
1: Ted Leonsis who, who could end up with the nationals, but Ted Leonsis, I, who I imagine is not interested in the, in the angels, right? That that is a, a geographical play for him already owning the capitals and, and the, uh, and the wizards. Yeah. It just seems to me that it, it certainly more supply should have an effect on demand in some ways, but, but, but in other ways, these sales very often happen just for, for very specific either heartstrings or geographical synergistic reasons that, that maybe having two on the market at the same time doesn't actually directly impact the ending price for either.
0: I'm not gonna name the name. I know you can boo and everybody can be like, oh, why not? Because I, I don't I don't want to put it out there yet. When when we can when we write it, we'll write it. But uh, I, I have a pretty good track on somebody, at least one person who already is is in on the angels and will will want to be a part of this process. So uh, and, and we'll keep have listening to the
1: sportercast. We will uh, we'll drop that when name I when can, we can
0: divulge. I will divulge. But yeah, our, our pal Sal Galatiedo, of course, is uh, is the banker on this. He's been retained by Artie Moreno to, to uh, at least explore the sale. Sal's been doing this a uh, a pretty darn long time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, who who approaches and uh, ma- makes a makes a solid bid for this team.
1: So let's move on, Scott. So, some other news happening this week. Uh, the fallout of Live Golf and the many ways in which the, the, the stars that have re- remained with the PGA Tour are working to change the structures of professional golf here in the US continues. Two big pieces of news today, Scott, as we record this on Tuesday, and we can go whichever direction you want. On the first PGA Tour, Commissioner Jay Monahan sent a letter out to players. Detailing some changes that are coming for them, primarily on the financial side, including travel stipend, new guarantees for full PGA members, the expansion of the, the PIP, the uh, essentially the Instagram buzz, the, the social media buzz award that they created two years ago, the expansion of prize purses for four more events in addition to the eight they've already done. That letter came, and then shortly after that letter went public, uh, Tomorrow Sports, the, the the new media venture or the new sports venture launched by Tiger and and Rory McIlroy, announced a new. Golf League that they are putting together starting in January 2024. In conjunction uh, with
0: the PGA Tour. In
1: conjunction with the PGA Tour, it is team three is uh, six teams of three golfers. They want to do them in custom-built venues. If you've seen the rendering, Scott, it looks like a video game. Yeah. It does not look like a golf course in any well, kind of... Well, that's not the, a bad way, way to go. Make,
0: to, to, to make something look like a video game these days is not bad. We've talked about the gamification of sport and the, the traditional sports leagues are trying to figure out how to model or how to mimic the the kids and what they're doing and you know the fortnight of it all and so that, that that's not a bad model and but let's break it down from what it is yeah this is an opportunity for the biggest names in golf to get paid more money that's I mean that's that's the big problem that the PGA has with live and that if you look at uh, the oil and gas companies right I think we've seen some record profits this year Ramco no differently uh, so it's hard to compete with Petro money. Like, if, if profit is not the motive, and Jay Monahan has said this, if profit is not the ultimate goal of the, the Saudis, how do you compete with that? If they're willing to lose money, if this is a lost leader for something else, how do you compete with that if you're the PGA Tour? How do you convince players? And a whole bunch of players have not been convinced. And I, I, I chuckled a tad. And I don't know if it was you and I who got a chance to talk about this, but I chuckled a tad when it was like Tiger Woods obviously near the end of his career, uh, at least on, on the PGA Tour, with all that money in the bank and all the money from the endorsements sort of didactically chatting with the, the, uh, the members of the PGA Tour uh, nostalgically and that you should stay and here's why. And that's, you know, uh, I, I got a little chuckled because it, if I'm making whatever it is, if I'm, if I'm struggling to make cuts and I have the opportunity to get guaranteed money every time I go out there, you have to take a peek at it right and that's what the PGA tour is fighting against
1: yeah i think that that right, guaranteed money is the is the key there that, that not only is the PGA tour beefing up its prize purses it's finding ways to let players know that no matter what happens if they miss the cut they're still going to get a travel stipend if they're a full member for the entire year even if they're not playing all that well they're they're still going to get a $500,000 base salary it's figuring out ways to create guaranteed paydays. I'm sure anyone who's participating in this new golf league, the TGL, which both Rory and Tiger are committed to, by the way, I'm sure anyone who's playing in that on Monday nights is also going to get paid for their participation. That's the thing that Liv kind of broke the the mold with, w- w- was paying these massive multi-hundred million dollars, in some cases, guaranteed appearance fees uh, f- for players. PGA seems to be trying to shift some of its mar- its money that way, so that players know that that regardless of how well they shoot on a given weekend, that they are still going to make money. And that is the important thing.
0: All right. I, I can't believe and shame on me that I've gone this long without mentioning this mustache that you're sporting. <laughs> you Gardner Minshew or what, what, what is <laughs> yeah. going on here? What, what's going on, Novi? Playing around with
1: it. I, I broke out the mustache for this canoe trip up uh, to Canada uh, last week and had some travel troubles getting home and haven't really had any time at home quite yet to uh, to deal with it. But So you um,
0: should be the one saying Ricardo Silva and Ricardo Ford. Not me. You're the one that should be tired. But hey, I've been hanging in hockey rinks and you've been hanging in airports, so that, that counts. But as our promotion for this one, and we get this over to Cora Veltman or whoever's helping her out this week, Slide to the side. Give me a little, give me a little mustache, you know, uh, caress. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's the promo. This is the promo. Stay tuned to see more of the mustachioed Novi Williams. I love Shad,
1: it. Shad Khan, I'm coming for you.
0: You are. I, I love it. All right, you were gone. We didn't talk Big Ten. So yeah. I know it's not, it's not exactly new, new, but I haven't gotten your thoughts uh, on the Big Ten and uh, sort of the, uh, the two super leagues now, SEC, Big Ten. What did you want to tell me?
1: Yeah, so so the, the the Big Ten finally announced the the final version of its new TV deals. We talked about some of the. A lot of this is not a surprise, and we've talked about this on on previous shows. It's a seven year, seven billion dollar TV package. So so the league, on average, is bringing in more than a billion dollars a year. For reference, that's essentially what the NCAA makes for its March Madness tournament right now. So the Big Ten is is an, about to eclipse the NCAA in terms of revenue. Um, and, and the structure here, I think, is the really interesting thing, Scott. It, it is a very, it's a model that looks a lot like the NFL's model. There, yeah. There's a noon game on Fox, noon national game on Fox, a late afternoon national game on CBS, an evening national game on NBC. That's a structure that looks a lot like the NFL, right? Where there's you know CBS and Fox games in the afternoon and then a primetime game on NBC on Sunday nights and, and, and a Monday night game on ESPN. there's appointment viewing on specific networks. And that looks very different than what the SEC, the other big conference has done, which is essentially hand over all of the reins to, to Disney, to ABC and, and ESPN and let them kind of mix and match. However, they want to do, but yeah, the, the money is the big takeaway here, Scott. A billion dollars a year for this conference. The SEC is not quite there yet, but will be when its next TV deal. It's a short deal right now. Will be when when the next deals are up. Um, they're just a further separation right now between the Big Ten and the SEC. And everybody else. And it's going to help them when either of these conferences decide they want to expand again. I know they're both looking at it. It's going to be harder and harder, I think, to, to, to pick schools from either the Pac-12 or the, or the ACC or the Big 12 that really benefit the, uh, the, the business in the long term. But we're seeing a, a great separation now and probably the end of this idea of the Power Five, the conferences that we've had for about a decade. It is really just the Power Two.
0: Yeah, well, and also, but when you're talking about numbers, there's only one thing in sports now I really need to talk about. That's tier one sports rights. Yeah. it's tier one. What it would, what qualifies as tier one? We can debate, but you'll know after they're out soliciting bids. You'll know at the end number what, what tier one is. And uh, our own Corey Left did something really good today, talking to the likes of David Levy and John Skipper about a sports rights bubble and and how how uh, networks are utilizing this. I thought it was interesting. Burke Magnus told our friends, uh, Andrew Marchand and John Arand, that, you know, hey, it was simple. We just did, at that number, we didn't get what we needed. And they were willing to walk away because like I said, they have the SEC. It's not like they're shut out of college football, but we didn't get what we needed at that price point. So let's see somebody else monetize it in a way they think they can. And, and that's interesting to me.
1: And down the road, it seems inevitable that at some point soon, the college football playoff going to expand. It is four teams right yeah. now. That That's what everybody's setting them for. A, the nice, a nice
0: role in the college football play. The expanded playoff, yes.
1: And, and ESPN has, has has owned the college football playoff since it was created uh, earlier in, in the past decade. It certainly seems as though just the way everything is shaping up right now, there's going to be other networks involved in the, in, in the college football playoff moving forward. It seems as though the conference commissioners, the ones who really have a lot of say, in this, really want an expanded college football playoff, not to hinge solely on the control of ESPN and ABC, but to also have other partners, whether it's NBC, whether it's Fox, whether it's CBS, other people at the table as well. So in some ways, I think we are heading towards this world, not only of of, of SEC versus, versus Big Ten. I also think we're going to end up with a college football postseason that is not quite as dominated by ESPN as it is right now.
0: All right, because I'm getting old and I'm tired. Like I'm, I'm gonna have to have a chart like right in front of me every time we do the show. Because last night I'm in Connecticut, so it still technically would have been my yes broadcast area. But the game (laughs) was exclusively, if you're a Yankees fan, there was no yes broadcast. It was on Amazon. Yeah, right. Amazon Sinclair, parts owner of the Yes Network. So you see where that's going. Okay. Luckily, I could call up my Prime app because I, I don't know who doesn't have Prime. I I had to order a new goalie uh, toe strap today because. The focus group of one shredded his in like two days of workouts. Nice job, kid. Like the the, the, the never ending. What did you say? Oh, I think he just bad worded back there. I, I, I can't I can't have that. Um then we've got the uh, MLS deal with Apple, right? Uh we have the NFL coming, dare I say Google. We have that coming down the pike. So we're, here. we're seeing this evolution. And by the way, those companies have lots of money on the balance sheet. It, it, you know, we talk about the PGA not being able to compete with Live and the money. I think we can say the same thing of of the Facebooks and the Googles and the Apples of the world, uh, at least right now. So it's going to be very interesting to see how how these leagues go about. Uh, positioning their rights with which which streamers, which linears. And we all know, yes, TV isn't going anywhere. It's the widest distribution. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I got it. I'm not saying it's happening right now, but it is going to be fun to watch. And hey, NWSL NCAA women good yeah, speaking, speaking, of of, speaking of speaking of distribution and linear and bigger audiences go ahead tell me my man this is big news on the same day
1: yeah happened both these announcements happened on monday uh, it sounds as though the the women's final 4 championship game the women's march madness championship game is going to move from espn to disney or sorry from espn to abc for the championship game. So putting that on, on traditional broadcast television and the NWSL championship as well, as part of a, a league partnership with ally is going to be moved to CBS, the, the broadcast network. And and there are a lot of people, Scott, and, and we've talked to a lot of them, even on this show who believe that, that women's sports, if they are just given the same platforms as men's sports can be much bigger commercial entities well, than they are right now. And well, this is say, a great example I mean, of people embracing that.
0: Let's well. Let's say though we're in sort of the science lab, right, with the Bunsen burners all around, locked away tight. But you make a hypothesis, then you do the experiment, and then you see if you're right. Yeah, we have seen women's sports deliver some incredible numbers, both on linear and on cable. That's why it's happening because the data is real. Like this is this is not charity to to quote. uh, to quote some of our, our favorite folks, this, this, is, this is not charity. I mean, Haley Rosen from Just Women's Sports, I think on our South by Southwest panel, said that like 10 times. This ain't charity. You know, we, we just want to be treated uh, like a business because there is ROI. And Alexis Ohanian says the same thing. Look at the data. You know Our friends at the uh, Sports Innovation Lab, look at, look at the data in the fan project. It'll tell you there's money to be made in women's sports. This is a big step in that direction.
1: And and some of those things that you're discussing in the past 12 months, Scott, the women's lacrosse uh, NCAA championships did huge numbers. Women's volleyball. Yeah, softball as well. The uh, women's hockey at the Olympics uh, did did really big numbers as well. And so did the women's basketball tournament last year. So, So there's a lot, as you said, a lot of evidence there. I'm particularly interested in what ESPN is doing and, and, and ABC now are doing with the women's basketball tournament, as you know, and 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 some of our re- our listeners may know, but many of them may not. The, the women's basketball tournament is not sold separately by the NCAA. It is part of a huge will be uh, soon package of twenty plus championships that includes the softball championship. And they, the College and they could Series. use March Madness. Until last year, they couldn't use March Madness. All of that is now changing kind of right at the end of ESPN's time with that package. They pay about $35 million a year for that package of 20-plus championships. A lot of those championships, I think, could be worth roughly that number on their own moving forward, but none is bigger. There's no property in the 20-plus that's bigger than the women's college basketball tournament. And the NCAA has a decision to make, Scott, if they want to keep that package together and sell it for a whole lot more money, or if they want to start cleaving off chunks of it. And, and, and again, if they wanted to, from, from media rights experts that I have talked to, if they wanted to just cleave off women's basketball alone and sell that one as a standalone, it's probably worth at least three times more than what ESPN's paying for the whole thing, or around three times more than ESPN's paying for the whole thing right now. So really, really soon, we're going to have a really good opportunity, I think, to see where the NCAA is thinking about how to monetize those things.
0: Alright, we were going to talk about the NFL preseason games dominating the world, but we know the NFL dominates the world. We were going to talk about the Bundesliga, uh, perhaps selling off some of its media to private equity, a la la Liga. How'd you like that? A la la Liga? Mm. That was, that's not easy to do, a la la Liga. You want to try it?
1: A la la Liga. <laughs> Matt that in post-production.
0: Boy, that could not have turned out <laughs> any better for me. I love it. All right. He is uh, back from vacation. Eben Novi williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Sashnik on the Twitter at Sashnik. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sporticast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network.